Welcome to this special episode of What's Next. I'm standing in for Akianastas Yu. My name is Jan Vermeulen. I'm the editor of My Broadband, and we have the pleasure of welcoming Changpeng Chao uh, of Binance, the CEO of Binance, to today's discussion. Uh, and it's an incredible pleasure to, to have you with us. And uh, uh, I think without further ado, let's get right to it. There's a lot of questions that, that people have about Binance, about what's happening in crypto in South Africa. And uh, let's start with uh, your operations here in South Africa. Can, can you give us an idea of, of how many registered South African users you've got? So uh, thanks for having me here. First of all, it, it's a great honor. Um, and uh, we, I don't have actually the numbers for the uh, South African users. We don't really divide users by platform uh, or, or by country. And um, it's also a little bit difficult uh, to do because there are people with South African as passports living abroad or uh, vice versa. So um, I don't have the exact numbers. Um, but in South Africa, there are uh, there are one other major platform that's uh, also quite prominent. Um, so it, I, yeah, I actually don't don't have all the numbers in front of me. Okay, yeah, yeah, we we have um, uh, our huge platform here in South Africa is is uh, by one of your rivals, DCG. It's owned by them, um, and yeah, they've been they've been in the market for a while. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a it's an exciting and and competitive space. Uh, over here. Um, but uh, perhaps uh, getting into the nitty gritties of it, the, the, the regulatory environment um, in South Africa, uh, we've seen our, our central bank, um, uh, sp specifically the financial surveillance department, uh, blocking citizens from using credit or debit cards to buy crypto from offshore exchanges in foreign currency like Binance. Uh, did you notice South Africans buying less crypto on Binance as a result? And uh, just in general, what do you make of, of this crackdown that seems to be uh, linked to export controls um, and, and uh, protecting, protecting our currency? Yeah, to be honest, so in the blockchain, in the crypto industry, there's really not a distinction between onshore and offshore exchanges. Um, as soon as you buy Bitcoin on any exchange, that Bitcoin stays in your wallet. If you fly to London, if you fly to New York, that Bitcoin is with you. Um, there's really no onshore, offshore. Uh, it doesn't really matter which, uh, which exchange you're using. Um, there is a local, yeah, the local exchange you mentioned, they do have a fiat on-ramp, whereas we um, and most other, we and every other international exchange that I know of um, does not have it. So, um, but the on-ramp allows people uh, to, to use, I understand, from banks to uh, deposit and withdraw and then convert into crypto. And once it's in crypto, uh, once it's in Bitcoins or BNB or other coins, there's really not a whole lot of geographic borders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of, of on-ramps and off-ramps, uh, I think that's a very natural place uh, to, uh, to, to go then. Are, are you working on, on enabling uh, an off-ramp for South Africans to, to bring their fiat uh, into, into Binance and, and trade from there? We're always, hope, we're always kind of working on it. We're always working on uh, hoping that, but we need to respect the local uh, central bank regulations. If the central bank are against banks from uh, servicing crypto exchanges, then there's not a whole lot we can do. Then, well, we can work with the central bank, try to educate them, um, try to convince them, et cetera. Um, so um, we're kind of working on that front, but um, uh, yeah, uh, in, 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 in many places, the banks and the central banks have a, still have a skeptical view of the uh, blockchain crypto uh, world. Um, 
which is understandable when you're in an industry for a long time and something new comes up, you're always skeptical. Uh, so we're, we are working with uh, governments all around the world trying to change that. But um, South Africa might take a little bit, uh, may, may take a little bit of time, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, to be clear, this is just um, with credit cards. So it's, it's still, I was clicking around uh, before I interview, and, and it seems like it's possible to uh, buy USD on Binance uh, using SWIFT uh, from South Africa. I haven't tried it yet. I don't know if there's a minimum amount uh, that's required, but it is possible for South Africans to still use Binance, um, even if it is via SWIFT. It's just that the credit card option was was so much more convenient. Um, and then Binance also used to offer South African Rand trading pairs. Uh, off, you know off the top of your head what caused you to disable uh, uh, South African Rand trading, and would you consider enabling that again? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, well, there's quite a few things there. Number one is um, uh, on the credit cards versus debit cards versus SWIFT bank transfers, and also there's also other ways of uh, what we call peer-to-peer -peer tra uh, transactions. Um, all of those are, uh, I think, I, I don't know what your situation is, but the SWIFT tr uh, transfers are mostly available for European users. So I don't know if you have a European uh, account, etc. Um, and uh, 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 so uh, and credit cards, we do work with um, uh, uh, both MasterCard and Visa globally um, to enable that. But in certain countries, including South Africa, um, I believe at the at the request of the local regulators, we turn that off. So um, and also, I believe um, I'm actually not sure of the details because there's so many countries um, in the world. And uh, um, I do believe that we also removed the uh, uh, South African RAND um, trading pairs at the request of regulators uh, locally. So um, that was done uh, at, uh, by request. So um, that's, uh, I'm not 100% sure to be honest, but that's kind of what I recollect. Um, we do have to respect local regulations. And, um, but if, the, if there's a local, if there's an exchange that do provides uh, those trading services, the problem with in crypto is there's thousands of exchanges. So it's just because we're the biggest and we disable it and there are other exchanges that provide it. So it doesn't really solve the problem. The other thing is um, when banks don't work with crypto uh, exchanges, um, there's a form of peer-to-peer -peer trading, which happens. So that means like um, uh, you deposit the crypto onto a platform and then the buyer transfers money to you directly by banks or any other way. It could be cash, it could be something else. And then when you when the when the seller re receives the cash or money, um, they they say confirm and then we release the um, uh, a crypto to the to the buyer. And this way, the uh, bank transfers or however method the fiat money is transferred does not go through the platform. Um, this way, actually, there's less data on, on what's going on. So um, just by banks not working with cryptocurrency businesses doesn't really solve, doesn't really prevent people from getting crypto. So uh, um, um, yeah, so there's, there's multiple, there's many different ways. Um, just by blocking banks only really blocks the banks from accessing a new technology that this is new technology for money. So, um, and it actually makes the banks more outdated over time. Um, so it, it's not a very effective way, but it causes some inconvenience for users. So users use different ways, um, but we do respect the local uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the local regulations. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the sense I'm, I'm getting from our regulator is that they, they want the, the on-ramp, the money flowing into exchanges to be reported 
through our um, foreign exchange uh, division or the, the what's called the financial surveillance department and um, and so uh, I don't know why it, it doesn't work with with credit cards um, but you know as I said it, it works through SWIFT and um, crypto exchanges are allowed to operate in South Africa if they have a local bank account uh, it seems and and a local bank there are a handful of local banks that still uh, are willing to support uh, cryptocurrency businesses in the country. Uh, would would that be something that you would consider is opening a, a local South African bank account or the, do the volumes in South Africa just not warrant um, that kind of uh, level of effort, uh, I want to say, to to allow fiat on-ramping from South Africa? Uh, we would love if the if, the, if there are local banks willing to work with Binance to open bank accounts. We would love to do that um, because um, that offers for the users a slightly more easier way to uh, is a better user experience. It offers regulators much more clarity, uh, much more data into what exactly is flowing to Binance, what is flowing out, etc. So that data becomes transparent. Whereas today, people trade using cash, using peer-to-peer um, -peer tra uh, bank transfers. That data is actually very unclear. Uh, mm -hmm. to regulators. We actually, yeah, so, uh, um, and uh, the best way for uh, uh, regulatory agencies, like uh, what you mentioned is the FX monitoring board, uh, uh, the best way for them to have that control is to allow banks working with cryptocurrency exchanges. And the best way to do that is provide issue licenses. Once you issue licenses to crypto exchanges, you can demand data. You can, you know, uh, by blocking them actually, um, pushes them uh, like pushes like um, the crypto exchanges out of the system. That you, sh you actually have less data, so um, it's a little bit counterintuitive. But um, um, we hope. But we're in multiple countries. We're seeing this moving this way. And lastly, South Africa is a very uh, important market. Uh, it's one of the most important markets in Africa. Um, so uh, it um, it is one of the strongest economies in Africa. So it is uh, it's obviously a very important market. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the issue of licenses, a uh, one of the top guys at our central bank recently said it's going to take you know twelve or eighteen months uh, to to sort out the regulations um, in South Africa. And one of them, one of the things that that they are working on is a licensing regime. Um, is is twelve to eighteen months? Does that sound reasonable, or is that too slow? Um, it's definitely not the fastest. Um, we have worked with governments that move much, much faster, but it's also reasonable to some extent. 18 months in government terms is not that long. But I'll give you an example for like Dubai, where I'm in right now. Um, last year in November, I came here, uh, met with the senior government officials. They say they want to, they want to embrace this, this industry and said, well, we, we're more than happy to help. So we, we entered into the MOU in November um, and then uh, we so we joined we formed a joint task force to help Dubai uh, draft the crypto regulatory framework. Um, by January we had a couple of drafts. By February we um, the Crown Prince of uh, Dubai signed that into law. So that was was established. And also by February we got a license. And by March five other crypto exchanges got got licenses in um, in Dubai. So you could like that was in the span of like three four months. You could move fast. 
Um, and uh, it's not a brand new thing now. Uh, it's not like the, this is the first, you know, it's not like the first country coming up with regulatory framework uh, for crypto. So uh, there are many examples to study. Of course, every country has their own uniqueness, their own worries. Um, sounds like South Africa is quite worried about foreign um, uh, capital uh, uh, flowing out of the country, which is common in many countries. So um, uh, yeah, so 18 months, is a bit long. Uh, it's not. It's not the longest. It's not the shortest. So, uh, but we, uh, if if needed be, we'll be very happy to help to move that faster. We have quite a lot of experience working with multiple governments around the world now. Mm. Ah. And uh, yeah, and one of the concerns in South Africa, I think that our regulators are grappling with is uh, we've been flagged for graylisting by the Financial Action Task Force, and so they want to make sure that whatever they do um, is not going to make that worse. Um, so uh, I think that's a, that's a major concern as well. You know, in country in in, in, uh, in in the United States, banks work very closely with cryptocurrency exchanges. In the U.S., a Binance U.S. can deduct money from from users' bank accounts automatically each month. Coinbase can do that too through the, through the protocol called ACH. So uh, France. Binance have a license. Italy, we have, Binance have a license. Um, so, um, uh, so it's not it, it's um, the gray list. That, uh, just because banks work with, with crypto businesses doesn't mean the country get on the gray list. Um, those are two separate things. Um, some people sometimes uh, uh, have confusions about that. But some of the most developed countries um, are doing this already. So it's not it's not something new. I just wanted to point that out. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's uh, I think important to emphasize. Uh, Binance has had direct interactions with one of our regulators, as far as I could tell, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, which asked you to um, block South Africans from margin trading on the platform. So, so we no longer have access to, to margins, futures, derivatives trading um, on Binance at all. Um, and, and you've already uh, alluded to this, but if a, if a separate license were available to, to offer uh, derivatives trading um, would you apply for one? And uh, what what were your interactions like with our local regulator? Were they generally positive? Um, I, in, in from uh, from everything I know, it was generally positive. Uh, we did have communication. Uh, I I was not directly involved, um, um, uh, but for, uh, gathering from our like the feedback I got from our team is: look, we got a request, we complied, um, and they asked us to, as you said, to uh, block access to margin. Products to futures products. I, I believe um, I, we 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 complied very swiftly. We're not in the business. We we cannot fight or you know go against regulators. That that just doesn't work. So we need to be we need to observe those local rules very carefully. At the same time, we do try to push them. So like, hey, why, look at this. All these other countries that are doing these wonderful things, and they're really not a whole lot of risk. Um, margin, uh, anything with leverage is more risky uh, for retail uh, for retail consumers. So every regulator have to make decisions based on the local condition, uh, like the education level, um, the financial literacy. Um, uh, so there are there are different concerns in different uh, in different parts of the world, and we understand that. Um, but and we want to work with regulators very closely to uh, further improve education and also uh, transparency and clarity. So all of those things are important, but I think so far, I believe our relationship um, has been pretty good. Mm -hmm. ah, that's good, good news. Uh, and uh, uh, just more broadly, what are some of Binance's plans for South Africa and the African continent as a whole? 
I think Africa has some really interesting potentials. Um, number one is a, it's, it's a large population, it's 1.2 billion people. Uh, and honestly, it's one of the less developed um, continents. So the financial, um, the financial power for, the, uh, for this 1.2 billion people are relatively low. Um, we really, uh, the way to improve that is not to limit them uh, is not to limit them access to new technologies. The way to improve that is to provide financial access. And this is a new technology for money. This is a new technology for, for financial, for financial uh, services, for financial products. So it is very important to bring them onto this new uh, industry and this new technology and, um, uh, um, and you know, in a proper control way. Africa have some really interesting advantages, like the low penetration of banks in Africa overall. I think the overall is probably about somewhere between 10 to 20% banking penetration. So that means 80% of the population don't have bank accounts. Um, and for them to get banks, et cetera, um, it's uh, many banks work in a fiscal branch. Um, Africa is a very large continent. Um, so now all they need is a, a smartphone and they can access the blockchain DeFi products and they can use payments, et cetera. So Africa, because of a less traditional financial infrastructure, it's actually easier for them to what we call leapfrog. Um, so they can bypass that and go there. Like, it's like, look, Africa, Africa probably also have low land phone penetration, but they can go straight to mobile. Uh, to smartphones, um, they can do that uh, here too. So, but we do, we but we do need a, two fundamental infrastructures to be in place: internet and smartphones. So today in Africa, the smartphone penetration is increasing, uh, which is also good. So uh, um, when uh, when uh, so, but Africa can uh, save all the cost of establishing traditional banks and stuff like that, and go directly into this new. Um, uh, technology and the banks can adopt this new technology too. So there's some really interesting dynamics here. Um, I do believe by providing, by allowing uh, Africa's um, direct access to new financial tools is actually very beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, here, the, that uh, top guy at our central uh, bank that I was speaking about earlier is uh, Kiba Naidu is his name. Um, uh, I'm said, and I'm paraphrasing a little here, but he said essentially South Africa doesn't need blockchain technology if you compare us to the rest of the continent, because we have a mature and advanced national payment system. Um, you know, countries like the Central African Republic have adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. They don't have the same robust systems we do. Uh, do you see lots of countries that, that kind of think in that vein that go, ah, you know, uh, digital ledger technologies don't have anything to offer us? Um, and, and what can crypto offer countries that already have strong financial systems like ours? Sure. Um, yeah. So we do see people with 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 that type of thinking still, and um, I think it just shows that the industry is quite still at an early stage. Um, there's a few things there. Um, well, number one is like I don't know if there's a video clip with Bill Gates interviewing with Larry uh, Larry the uh, a show. Um, Larry was making fun of him in 1995, saying, well, "Why do we need the internet? We already have radio. We already have TV. We have magazines. Uh, what's the point of the internet?" And Bill Gates trying to explain the use cases. So guess what? Uh, 20 years later, we have internet radio, we have internet TV, we have internet uh, social media, and a bunch of other things. So uh, a new, uh, if internet was just a new technology for transferring information, the blockchain is just a new technology for transferring value. That's all it is. But with the internet, we can build so much stuff out of it. There's a whole ecosystem built out of it. A blockchain is going to do that as, as well for money. So and blockchain is going to have a higher impact because 
this technology deals with value transfer, where information is just or internet is just dealing with information transfer. Two very different things. Um, and what are the direct benefits for for countries? Uh, well, before I get into that, uh, compared South Africa is one of the leaders in Africa. When when you are a leader in Africa, compared to the rest of the countries in Africa, is less. Of course, you're always going to look good. Um, but how about compared to New York? How about com compared to Japan? How about compared to Singapore? Uh, when you compare to this developed countries, where is South Africa or where is Africa overall? Um, so, um, you know, you can always pick guys who are weaker than you compared to them. You can also pick guys who are more developed or stronger than you and, 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 and try to improve yourself. Um, and what are the benefits for this technology? Um, there's many more to come, but today is the one of the easiest tools for either entrepreneurs or existing businesses to raise money. Every single government I've met want to attract foreign direct investments. They want to bring money into the country. Um, that's good for economy. Um, using blockchain, blockchain fundraising, ICOs, IEOs. This is one of the best ways for entrepreneurs to raise money globally. So you can have, you can have a small entrepreneur team in South Africa. If they have a good idea, good product, and some reputation, they can easily raise 10, 20 million US dollars within a matter of weeks or days. And guess what? That money gets spent. Uh, that money will be used to hire people. That money, um, they will create jobs in the local economy. That, um, and it also on top of that, it, it developed a local talent pool, which is important for this future industry. So that's just one use case, uh, what I call blockchain, global fundraising. Uh, artists are now able to sell their art globally using blockchain technologies, NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens. And again, um, I've spoken with countless artists. They say they get ten, they get they 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 get ten x more for their art when they use NFTs. So I know an artist here in Dubai. He normally sells art for like ten thousand dollars a piece, but using NFTs he gets hundred thousand dollars a piece. Guess what? Now he's exclusively in NFTs. Why would he do it any other way? And and again, NFTs they're sold to all over people all over the world. It's not just you know it's not just in Dubai. So now he's bringing the money from all over the world into the local economy. Now he, buy, he buys a house here. Um, he buys, no, he spends money here. So all of these things are very important. And there are many other things that we haven't even explored. It is a much cheaper way to pay. It is a much cheaper way to transact. It's just a newer technology. Um, why would you want to consume? Uh, if it's cheaper, your consumers save money. And when your consumers save money, and if you use cheaper technologies, you will have stronger industries, you will have more commerce. Um, that's good for the, low, for, the, for the economy. So all of these things are very important. Um, if you think about what if, which country doesn't have internet? Well, there's South Africa, uh, there's North, North Korea, probably. And guess how, how, how well the economy is doing there. So um, not ignoring new technologies is extremely dangerous. It's extremely potentially very um, uh, disastrous for economies. And every country wants economy. So, um, and also economic growth has to be exponential. So you have to, um, if you, when, when you become a leader, um, um, you have to grow more. You have to adopt a new technology that can offer you exponential growth. There isn't that many other industries today, more than blockchain, more than cryptocurrencies that can offer that type of growth. So for example, Japan, Japan is a very developed economy. Um, if you look at Tokyo, how many buildings, how, like it's a very, very established economy. Guess what? They are now embracing blockchain because they understand that for their economy to grow from that scale, they need, they need new technologies. So um, yeah, I think um, obviously my view is one view, um, not 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 guaranteed to be right or wrong, but 
different people have different views. Um, I view that you know technology is extremely important for economic growth. Mm. Mm. Yes, uh, thank you, thank you for that. That and that uh, I want to explore the the double edged sword um, of this a little bit. Uh, to, it's a little bit philosophical, but but you've you've raised uh, the internet as an example here, and I think that's an interesting one to to look at. Oh, and uh, and before before that, I wanted to say yes. The the clip that you're referring to is Dave Letterman making fun of uh, David Letterman, yeah, yeah of, of, of Bill Gates. The big new thing. Yeah, but you know, uh, it's easy to criticize something you don't fully understand, which is my position here. Go ahead. But I, I can remember a couple of months ago, there was like a big breakthrough announcement <laughs> that on the internet or on some computer deal, they were going to broadcast a, a baseball game. You could listen to a baseball game on your computer. And I just thought to myself, does radio ring a bell? <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just... there's, there's a difference. There is a difference. It's not a huge difference. What is the uh, difference? But you can, you can listen to the baseball game whenever you want, All right. too. Oh, I see. So it's stored in one of your memory deals, exactly. and then you can come That's back the a year later. That's the you talked yeah, about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Do tape recorders ring a bell? <laughs> um, but uh, one of the criticisms uh, leveled at crypto is that it enables illegal activity and, and ransomware attacks. So uh, you've already compared it to something like the internet. Uh, do, do you think it's it's fair to compare it to the internet in that respect as well, in, in terms of benefits and drawbacks? So on the one hand, the internet democratizes access to information, it democratizes publishing, it lets us communicate cheaply over vast distances. But on the other hand, it also lets spammers and scammers operate at a massive scale and you know, also enables much worse things like revenge porn. So the question becomes, is the trade-off worth it? Oh yeah, so uh, absolutely. So I think the trade-offs absolutely worth it. Um, we live in a world. I I believe the positive forces always trump the negative forces. Um, and as a, as a, a, a as a species, we 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 will ensure that happens. Um, and uh, also, just because something uh, some illicit activity happens in using one tech, using one tool, it doesn't mean that tool is bad. Uh, you know, there's illicit. There's way more illicit activities happening with U.S. dollars. Um, is the U.S. dollar bad? Um, there's probably quite a, still quite a uh, significant number of illicit activities that happens with the South African rand, and is that is that is that bad? Um, so uh, you got you got to separate the tool. You know, you, you can you can use a hammer to 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 do work, or you can use a hammer to hit somebody. Um, it's not the hammer's fault. Um, so um, there there are uh, we need to differentiate that, and also um, there's a misconception that there's more illicit activity in crypto. That's completely not true anymore. Um, and this data, there's published reports uh, in cryptocurrencies uh, today, there's less than 0.1% of transactions are uh, associated with illicit activities, whereas in traditional financial fiat, um, cash, et cetera, that's the UN, the United Nations estimates up to 5%. So it's 5% versus 0.1%. So it's like 50x less likely to happen in crypto. Because why? Uh, because crypto is very traceable. Uh, the, the blockchain is public. Um, give you another example. Uh, the Bitfinex hackers, Bitfinex is a crypto exchange that got hacked in 2016 for billions of dollars. The hackers held on to the money, didn't use it for six years. In 2022, early this year, in February, they, they used it. Within one week, uh, they got caught. And it happened to be a couple in New York. So you caught Bitfinex uh, hack. Um, the law enforcement around the world are increasingly good at it. 
uh, at tracking the blockchain. And also third-party uh, big data analysis tools are very good at it now. Also, the, because the blockchain is permanent and public, uh, we can use the data that we have today to analyze transactions from two years ago, from five years ago. So you can't, you can't change it, you can't fake it, you can't erase it. So um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your view, the terrorists, the, the illicit players also figured this out. They don't use blockchain for this anymore. They don't use blockchain for transactions anymore. They use cash. So that's a complete um, uh, misconception that uh, doesn't carry in the, in the early days. Um, blockchain, so I don't think it's an issue for people who understand this. Um, it's a misconception. Mm -hmm. So uh, based on the data that you've cited uh, for, for law enforcement and for governments who want to crack down on crime by attacking the money supply that that crime uses, it would in fact be more effective to try and move the world off cash than to try Absolutely. and stand in the way of crypto. Yeah. So, uh, and we're seeing that, you know, the United States law enforcement, the Canadian law enforcement, uh, even the Brazil law enforcement, they, they now, they, we, our, um, uh, our forensics division gets more requests for, uh, from law enforcement for education, for seminars from us, from all over the world. Like we have 500 requests. We can only service, like, I don't know, a few a month. So um, the law enforcement want the training now. So um, they, they, they understand. Uh, you recently visited several African countries. There's, there's a video of you on YouTube um, uh, meeting the president of Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, could you talk about what you saw in your visits and, and what was discussed? Yeah, so um, uh, when I visited Cote d'Ivoire, I, uh, yeah, I met with the president of uh, Cote d'Ivoire and uh, Cote d'Ivoire is one of the more developed countries in West Africa. Um, so, um, and... Uh, they look towards France quite a lot, right? So now France had given Binance a license. So they um, went there and we talked about how to, uh, how this how this technology will help the economy. Very similar conversation to what we're having now, um, but just with, with, with the president directly. Um, and also with the, uh, the the vice president, the Ministry of Finance, um, the uh, general uh, Secretary General. Uh, so um, they want to embrace this technology now. So the attitudes, the attitudes completely changed. Now, once they understand what this technology can do, they uh, they want to embrace it. And there's also discussions about, like, hey, um, why can we can we can Binance commit to establish a headquarter in this country, that country? So we're getting invited into many countries now. So I think the uh, the tone is really changing. Um, so um, yeah, so it's it's very positive. And I also visited Senegal. I also visited uh, Morocco, um, or similar type of conversations. Okay, uh, exciting news. Uh, can you say when you might be coming down to South Africa? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Um, my travel schedule was like, you know, I, I actually traveled to about 25 countries. Um, and, um, uh, and 21 of them are new countries. I think, well, some, some number of them are new countries. And then, um, um, so yeah, whenever the schedule permits, I'll, I'll travel. Um, I do intend to spend quite a bit of time in every continent. And South Africa, I have not been ever yet. Um, it is it's, it's on my bucket list. I'll definitely go there. Yeah, we would be happy to welcome you. Um, and uh, absolutely, I, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, some of the other tech that, that Binance works on, uh, BNB chain in particular. Um, but first, from the South African perspective, do you have a sense of how many South Africans use or have used BNB chain? Um, looking at, for example, who's buying the BNB token on Binance Central, centralized exchange and then moving it over onto the smart contract platform. And uh, broad, more broadly, how many Africans are on the platform? 
Um, I don't have that data on top of my head. Um, um, again, I think um, uh, Africa, actually, we had decent number of users, but the transaction volume is low. Um, so I think that also is, is in correlation with the, with the, with the earning power um, of the population. Um, I'm actually, I actually don't, um, I actually don't think we have data on the BNB chain stuff uh, because that's a public blockchain. Um, there's really not a whole lot of data tracking though going on there. Um, uh, but I can ask our team to, to give you some more detailed data, but I don't have it on top of my head. Okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out if there, if there is data like that. Yeah. The other thing uh, from my conversations with our team, what I learned is uh, our team tells me that the African users, they trade, they're not active traders. Um, they don't like really buy and sell, buy and sell. What they are more interested in are earnings products. You know, you, you deposit some uh, BNB or some BTC and you get an interest rate on top of that. You earn or you stake, um, yield farming. Uh, those things are much, much more popular in Africa. This is just anecdotal uh, feedback I got from our team. Um, I don't have the country numbers on top of my head because there's two other countries. It's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And while we're speaking about um, earning products and, and holding your tokens on an exchange, this is a little bit out of order. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, new users a bit later, but, um, but while we're talking about it, um, yeah, we've seen some uh, fairly concerning news out of, you know, platforms like Celsius, which um, also pitched itself as a custodian, um, uh, you know what are what are some of the dangers um, associated with holding your, your tokens on an exchange? Would you recommend that people hold their tokens on an exchange like Binance for those earning opportunities? Are, are they safe? Um, and uh, you know how does one manage the risks? Uh, because you know everybody thought Celsius was safe. Um, so uh, uh, you know uh, what kind of assurances are there for for those customers that are, as you say, using a platform like Binance for yield farming, uh, for staking, for um, interest earning products? Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, there are many there are many different type of platforms and even for the one type, there are many different players. Um, so just because uh, just because one goes down doesn't mean the whole category is bad. And also just because uh, uh, one uh, business goes down doesn't mean the other businesses are bad. So just because one internet company fails doesn't mean the other internet company is bad. Um, there are uh, some problems in this, in, the, in this, especially lending, yield generating uh, uh, industry. There are companies who just say, hey, deposit money to us and we will guarantee you a certain uh, return. Um, and then we're just going to lend that money to somebody else. And the money leaves the platform. And when that somebody else, like you know, Luna, uh, Three Arrows, when they when they go, they Celsius give a lot of money to to to, to Three Arrow, and when Three Arrow went, went down, they don't get the money back. Guess what? The users not gonna, they don't have money to give back to the users. Um, that's a fairly dangerous business model. Uh, and that and that business model, the the guys don't do any value add. Like they're they're not really they you know they take your money and they give to somebody else to generate the yield. Um, that's not um, that's not a very good business model in my opinion. Could be wrong. Um, um, there are other platforms like for example Binance. When you deposit uh, onto Binance, Binance use DeFi uh, use um, a, a blockchain native staking. Uh, returns. So um, we diversify into multiple DeFi platforms, which are much more open, much much more transparent. Um, and also Binance, when you um, uh, we also have a margin product, which you know margins the the the, the people who trade on margins basically have to borrow coins from uh, from uh, from somewhere, and they pay interest on that. 
uh, and the money does not leave the platform. So when the people trade on your know, margin, we the, our system does the uh, does the liquidations if necessary. Uh, so we 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 our system manages the risks. The money doesn't leave the platform. So the margin the margin traders typically will pay I don't know somewhere between eight to ten to twelve percent on interest rate uh, for the for the amount they borrow. Guess who have to, who do they borrow from? They borrow from the guys who are also on our platform that that want to lend. And then, so this way, the the money stays on one platform. It is a it is a logical and is a very sensible. It's a complete closed loop uh, business model. So the risk there is much smaller. Um, but uh, talking about uh, risk, though, centralized exchanges do have risks. Um, we, there's also many centralized exchanges that goes down, um, that runs away with people's money. Um, so uh, there's a different type of risk. Um, and then also centralized exchanges could get hacked. So no, no business is risk-free, um, but the larger businesses typically are more are slightly safer. Um, uh, for Binance, we, because of the scale, we, we invest hundreds of millions, and actually we invest billions of dollars now into security. We, we, we hire the best security experts all from all around the world. And we have this infrastructure to, to do it. And the, the, the scale for, uh, based on, on, uh, on our user numbers, we can do it at the scale makes sense. Whereas if you use a smaller platform, it's a new brand new platform with a couple thousand users on there, they're probably only spending a couple thousand dollars or a couple hundred thousand dollars on security. Um, they would not have the, quite the same level of security. So, um, but it's not to say that Binance doesn't have risks. We we have risks. We we also want the most targeted by, uh, targets by hackers. So, um, but at the same time, we're more tested. Mm. So um, there are different levels of risks. Um, so you do need to evaluate it very carefully. Um, nothing is risk free. Uh, but at Binance, I think we do very, we spend a lot of effort trying to manage those risks where some of the other players may have not done uh, such a thorough job. So lastly, uh, on the centralized exchange, uh, 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 for any business, that's business risk. If the business doesn't make sense, if the business is losing money, it's not profitable. You actually want to use a profitable platform because you want the platform to stay, to be sustainable. Um, and uh, if the business model doesn't make sense to you, then that's also a risk. Um, business that doesn't make money uh, is also a risk. Um, we also see a lot of circular, circular lending. So one guy says, okay, I'm going to invest in you, and then I'm going to take a loan out of you, and then I'm going to give it to somebody else. Somebody will give it back to um, Those kind of things get very messy. Um, so stay away from platforms that do that is my recommendation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what was um, what was uh, unfortunate about this situation is it wasn't necessarily transparent or very clear to people what some of these custodians were doing with their money and uh, and the terror collapse in particular. Uh, as someone who was uh, quite invested and 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 bullish on on terror, um, you know, I thought that the anchor earnings were going. Uh, you know, we're, we're perhaps going to, you know, uh, places like magic internet money and stuff, seeing how many institutional investors were milking anchor for the 20% yield and are now going bust as a result of that uh, was actually quite interesting um, to, to see. Uh, and uh, uh, I think it's a, a lesson in terms of the transparency required from how these uh, custodians generate their yield. Absolutely. So actually one of the telltale risk signs is a high yield guaranteed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. You can do high yield for a short period of time to attract users, but you can't do like 20% forever. Um, very few business, no business in history were able to sustain that. Um, so if you, if, if, if you go for that, then it's eventually going to fail. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, then it's just a game of, do you get out just in time before that or not? 
uh, is too risky you, with not enough information. If you don't, can, if you cannot see inside the operation, then don't do it. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, if if the strategy is get out before it fails, then that's that's how people approach Ponzi's. That's not exactly um, that's not exactly that's good not a, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and uh, I want to circle back. We were talking about BNB Chain uh, before we were on this train of thought. Um, you've described BNB Chain as bigger than Binance. What what does that mean? Um, I think today uh, most people are more comfortable using a centralized exchange because they're more comfortable using a, a email password, and if they lose it, they can call customer support. Um, that's just more natural to people. Um, and but in the future, uh, when technologies, when when we develop technologies that make it easy for people to hold crypto on their own, today most people cannot hold the private key safely on their own. They have to do secure backups. They have to distribute it in ge different geographic locations. If they lose the device, they have they need to have a way to restore it. Um, if they eventually are not available, not around, everybody dies. Um, how do they pass it to their kids, etc.? Most of those solutions are not, we don't have very easy to use solutions for those problems. Um, there are solutions, but they're just very clunky. So I think as the industry matures, as we develop more tools to make those type of things easy, then people can every uh, a everyday average person, not a techie, like a non-tech person, can hold uh, large amounts of crypto in their own wallet securely. People are going to move more towards the DeFi space. Um, so that be everything will be done more natively on the blockchain. So um, I think that will happen. I just don't know when. Um, I uh, I just it's just a matter of time though. It may be five years, maybe ten years, maybe twenty years. Um, but when that happens, uh, the DeFi industry will get bigger than the centralized ones, which is fine. Um, so that's why we're investing very heavily in the DeFi world. Um, so uh, we invest in other projects. We fund developers. We sponsor them. We just want we just want to see this technology evolve. So um, I think. Uh, the long future, 20 years from now, people will be using the blockchain a lot more natively and a lot, a lot less with the centralized exchanges. Mm -hmm. and, and while we're uh, on that topic, um, I mean, would you say that it's accurate that most people who buy crypto, including BNB, are just speculating on the price? Uh, and what could people be doing with their crypto on a smart contracting platform like BNB chain, other than just hoping for the price to go up? Sure. Yeah. So today, especially when we look at Binance or, or centralized exchange, well, today, if you look at NASDAQ, 90% of people there are speculators. They're only there for like, you know, trying to trade and make money. Um, very few are shareholders. Um, shareholders only like, you know, um, probably less than 10% of the active traders. So, um, and uh, that's also the same when you look at a crypto exchange. Um, of course, the, the most active users on our platform are active traders. Um, but if you look at the BNB ecosystem, if you look at the BNB chain, there are a number of uh, use cases now. So well, again, blockchain fundraising, people using ICOs, IEOs, IDOs, uh, however, however, however you call it. Um, people are selling, people are issuing NFTs, creating NFTs, people are um, uh, creating, uh, participating in DeFi products that generates yields. Um, actually, I've got to mention the DeFi products on, on the blockchain is actually much safer, but there are rug pulls, there are smart contracts exploits as well. So every, everything have different risks, uh, different risk profiles. So, um, uh, and on the blockchain now, we're seeing much more uh, interesting use cases right now. So because we have NFTs now, now stadiums want to uh, NFT everything. 
Um, they want to NFT the seats, the bricks, everything. Um, will that work or not? We don't know yet. There's fan tokens, there's metaverse. So um, there's many different things being built. Um, and now there's Soban tokens. Uh, we, uh, there's, you know, um, there's many di different new applications being built. Granted, most of them are still small right now, but that's how the internet was built as well. Many of the internet platforms are very small at the beginning. And 20 years later, um, some of them got really big. Many of them disappeared. But a number of the, the, the most valuable companies in the world today are internet companies. Mm -hmm. And one of the big debates when it comes to smart contracting platforms is, you know, centralized versus decentralized. How central, how decentralized is a platform really? And there's all kinds of analysis that, that goes into that um, on an individual product, project level, even, you know, looking at the distribution of tokens amongst wallets. Um, and, you know, we've seen, for example, Solana. Uh, shut down its whole blockchain uh, a couple of times now. Um, uh, and you'll have, uh, I, I guess, Ethereum maxis uh, be, be quite vocal uh, about, you know, how much more decentralized Ethereum is compared to other smart contracting blockchains. And I know BNB chain has received some criticism for the level of decentralization. How do you, how do you approach that debate? And, uh, you know, and how decentralized is BNB chain really? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of different concepts there. Uh, number one is decentralization and centralization is a gradient scale. It's not a black and white thing. It's, so many people have a very simplest, simplistic view based on one metric that if you meet this metric, it's decentralized. Otherwise, it's not. Um, that's usually not true. Um, uh, so some people go by, um, well, if you can hold your own private keys, it's decentralized. Otherwise, it's centralized. Well, guess what? Um, then... Ethereum, BNB, you can, you can hold your own private keys. Um, some people look at the miners. Guess what? The Bitcoin miners are pretty centralized. Um, the, top, the, the, the top two miners control more than 51% of the hash power. Um, and, um, but if you look at funders, uh, well, Bitcoin is generally the, the most decentralized one. We can't even find a funder. Whereas even you look at Ethereum, if you look at BNB, if you look at most other projects, you can still identify the funder. Uh, Vitalik is much more involved in the project in, in, in Ethereum technical designs, et cetera. So he has a very large influence on how things will go. Um, so is that decentralized, is that centralized or not? Yeah, um, it's, it's a level of centralization. And for me, I'm actually much less involved in BNB uh, chain development. So that actually makes it more decentralized in a way. Um, but again, so there's many different uh, uh, metrics to, 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 um, to, to measure this. So it's not a, it's not a black and white thing. Um, uh, on, different grade, on different aspects, um, different blockchains have exert different ratios. Um, you can look at number of nodes. You can look at um, the, the coin distribution, Dogecoin. 30% of Dogecoin sits in one address. Is that decentralized or not? So there's many different ways to look at it. Um, a second uh, aspect is uh, uh, decentralization is just a means to an end. Uh, decentralization protects, uh, generally um, means it's more equal, more distributed, but it doesn't always guarantee it. Um, so even if you look at Bitcoin, the large holders hold a lot, hold, hold a lot of, it doesn't mean that the, the Bitcoin distribution is equal. Um, and also decentralization is a means to get into more freedom, less fees, easy to use and secure. So if it, um, at the end of the day, most average people, most every, everyday people do not care about whether it's decentralized or not. They care about, can I transfer this fund to somebody that I want to transfer to easily? 
Um, do I need to go through a whole, a very complicated approval process or can I just you know, send? Like it, assuming that it's legit, it's after tax money, everything, you know, um, why should I go through all this process? So um, the ease of use, the freedom, the security and fees, uh, low fees, all of those matter. Uh, very, uh, for 90, for 90 something percent of the population, they don't care if it's centralized or decentralized as long as it's secure. So um, uh, the, that debate, I think is meaningful to have, but it's, it, it's not the end goal. The end goal is to increase freedom, increase ease of use. So uh, increase lower fees. So um, that's what we focus on. But I do think in, uh, well, given the technology allows more decentralization, that the trend uh, to, to achieve some of those goals will be through decentralization over time. So I do think decentralization is, is important. But at the same time, today, if you ask, like if 99% of the population, if you ask them to install a decentralized wallet, they don't even know what to do. Hmm. When you ask them to log, to go to a platform, that email, password, login, they know what to do. And so through a centralized platform, we can actually increase adoption into crypto. So we're kind of going step by step instead of one big giant leap. So uh, the different approaches and different people try different approaches. And for me, for us, we think that um, this incremental step approach is important. And I don't think that centralized solutions are the best, um, but today is what most people prefer. So um, we provide multiple solutions for people to choose. We have centralized solutions. We have decentral uh, centralized solutions, Binance.com, um, a whole bunch of other products, decentralized solutions like Trust Wallet, BNB Chain, et cetera. So we, we provide both choices. So I, I I usually don't get bogged down into debates, philosophical debates about terms, what, what, things, what things mean. The most important thing is what do people want to use? Give, it, give that to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I wanted to circle back a little bit on, on our discussion uh, regarding what's happened with Terra um, and, and so on. And it, and it ties in with, with BNB chain because uh, people were caught off guard by a top 10 or even top five market cap project like Terra just going to zero, especially how fast went to zero. Is it fair to say that no crypto project is safe? Could any token go to zero? It doesn't matter you know, where it ranks on coin market cap. You know, could Ethereum, could Bitcoin, or, or could BNB even go to zero like that? Um, I would agree with that. And I would also expand that nothing is safe. No company is safe. No stock is safe. Uh, we have seen stock crash. You know, um, they're, they're very reputable companies. Like, they're very strong companies like Netflix. Their stock is down 70%. Um, and, uh, and Chinese stocks, if you look at them, there's a bloodbath. So um, nothing's 100% safe. There's risks in everything. Uh, any project, anything could fail. Um, so uh, uh, if Earth if Earth gets hit by a meteoroid, everything goes away. So um, yeah, so of course, so we need to assess the level of risk and the um, and what you can tolerate. Terra was um, unexpected to be uh, uh, to say the least, and um, uh, but hindsight is much clearer. Once we look at hindsight, Terra uh, Terra USD got. Uh, grow there because of um, uh, inorganic growth, incentive-driven growth, um, uh, a lot of incentive to attract, and then it was based on a um, the way that UST was uh, was based on collateral for Luna, both was really the same project. Um, so when one goes down, the other also goes down. Uh, nobody pointed that out, um, and also in the design. Um, they think that by printing more Luna, um, the Luna market cap is going to grow. Um, so when, 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 when there's not enough Luna, then they just print more. Um, that's completely flawed, right? You don't create value by printing more money. 
um, just dilutes every, everything else that was there before. So um, the, yeah, but uh, it was uh, hindsight is very clear, but no one, uh, actually many people did point out those issues. Um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't clear to to the mass population until that happened. So it's a very it's a very expensive learning process. But guess what? We're we're in a new industry. We gotta we gotta learn through. We will have to do some hard learning, like through hard lessons. Mm. And uh, on on that note, with this, um, is there some good news in the space that's getting lost in the noise of all this bad news? Uh, absolutely. So um, actually, look, uh, compared to a year ago when Bitcoin were like 68,000, um, today, actually, the, thing, the industry is much healthier, much cleaner. Um, there's much less uh, fluffy stuff. There's much less arrogance. Uh, now the projects, there are many, there, there are many, many projects that are still going. And those projects are much more humbler. They're much you know, down to earth. Uh, they have reasonable valuations. It's much easier to find projects to invest in today than a year ago. A year ago, the valuations were too crazy. Uh, we couldn't find companies to invest in. And this is why we launched Binance Labs. We're now making a big push to invest in the industry now. We think this is the best time to invest. Uh, but this is for, uh, again, I don't want this to be investment advice, but that's what we think. Um, and um, so uh, a correction is not necessarily bad for the in for the industry. Um, before the industry was built on, you know, there was too much air in the industry. Now, like everything's more solid. So, um, and if through every uh, through every correction, every failure, every failed project, we learn. So we, we now we now we now learn to what how do we evaluate some of the projects? What kind of uh, risks they are in landing in loan in stablecoin uh, projects? So we learn we learn from experience. So um, and also for the stronger players that stay today and that can survive and that. They, usually the guys who can survive actually thrive because now there's less competition, there's more consolidation. Um, it's, it's actually, there's more opportunity for, for the guys who can survive. Mm. And you've announced that your co-founder, Yi Hei, will take over as head of Binance Labs. What is your plan uh, for labs? What kind of projects are you looking at investing in? Yeah, so um, when we started Binance Labs four years ago, uh, it was really an experiment. So that's why we didn't take external money. We were just using our own money to invest. We wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was going to make money or not. Um, but it turns out that over the last three, four years, uh, we invested a couple hundred million dollars, depending on what price you use to calculate them. Now it's a seven billion dollar portfolio. And at, when Bitcoin was like sixty-eight thousand, it was much higher. Um, so even even at the current market cap, uh, even in the current market, um, the market valuation is seven billion dollars plus. Um, so now we like no, this is this works. Um, we want to do more. We now have a lot more dry powder to do more. So we want to more, uh, much more actively invest in the space, um, but both inside the crypto space, um, anything like infrastructure, applications, etc. But we're also venturing out a little bit into traditional industries. And this is why we were involved in the Forbes deal, uh, in the Twitter deal, uh, 500 million, Forbes was 200 million. Um, uh, unfortunately, most of the deals kind of got stuck. But um, uh, we want to invest in a couple uh, for each for each traditional uh, industry sector. We want to pick one or two um, companies, invest in them, help them to bring into the crypto Web three world. Uh, and we believe, I believe very strongly that by doing that, we will give them additional business models. We'll give them additional uh, funding models that that will make them stronger. And when they become stronger, guess what? Their competitors have to do that. They will have to follow, and then that industry gets into crypto. 
And this way, the crypto uh, industry grows. And then our main business today, uh, when the crypto industry grows, we benefit. So we take a much longer term view in, in how to develop this economy now. So, um, and investment is a, is a key aspect on that. So now we, we task basically the, uh, one of the key uh, co-founders to, to, uh, to lead this. Before it was always, you know, uh, it, was, it was kind of a smaller, uh, project. Now we're, we're making a top tier uh, project. Mm. And uh, are you willing to name names uh, of, of any, any particular companies that you're looking at? Uh, well, I can't. I can't name names of the companies we're looking at. We can only announce after. Yeah, after after we, we make announcements for certain deals that we want to make public. But actually, most of our investments are actually private. Like we actually don't announce them. Okay. Yeah, I had to try. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, I mean. Basically, the, the the main reason is when we announce it, it's usually uh, we want to be very careful. We don't. Many people follow us for investments. Once we announce, once we say, "Hey, we're looking at this project," every other investor, including some retail investors, wants to get in, and we want to be careful. It's okay to, for us to lose our own mon- our own money, uh, but we don't want other people following us losing money. So this is why we we are very careful with announcing what we invest in. Yeah, ape follows ape, as they say in the crypto industry. Um, so uh, one last question, if you'll indulge me. I know that your time is limited. Um, we have a local uh, South African DeFi celebrity, but uh, he's actually an international DeFi celebrity. He just happens to be South African. His name is Andre Cronier. And in an in a interview he gave before he exited the space, he warned that crypto is in danger of repeating the mistakes of traditional finance. He he said uh, in his own unique way, dudes in suits are just becoming dudes in hoodies. Uh, Do you agree with that? And and how do we prevent DeFi from just being traditional finance with extra steps? Um, I mean, there's always a certain element of truth to a a generic saying like that. Um, There's always, you know, we're we're not completely avoiding all the mistakes or all the issues in traditional industries. Um, so in the traditional industries, you have you know, loans, any loan business, there's a high risk for failure. That was repeated in crypto. Um, crypto, blockchain, Web3 doesn't eliminate all problems that we have in financial industries. It's not a magic pill. It's not a magic cure. It is much better, in my opinion, than the traditional technologies, much cheaper, much faster, uh, much more democratic, much more decentralized than the traditional ones. But we don't solve all problems. And... Um, people's greed, um, they are scammers in traditional industries. They are scammers in, in crypto. They're bad players in traditional industries. They're, they're bad players here. They're good players in traditional industries too. And they're, they're good players here. So it's, it's not black and white. Um, and uh, we are very likely to repeat many of the mistakes too, um, but it's a learning process. Um, so um, it's a, in my view, it's an iterative learning process. It's not like we're going to become perfect in one shot. It's, it's, it's not possible. So uh, 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 when when somebody says that, there's always an element of truth to that. We shouldn't have we shouldn't have a too black and white view of the world. We should look at the world as it really is, which is a grayscale, and we need to figure out what's risky, what's not risky, and learn how to avoid it. Mm-hmm. CZ, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the South African community also appreciates um, uh, the, the, the insight that you've given into Binance's operations, what uh, your plans are for South Africa, for the continent as a whole. Uh, we look forward to hosting you uh, one day, hopefully soon. And uh, see you again soon. Thank you, Yeah, Thanks for inviting me. And it's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you.